Every winter, your nice hosts take a break from new episodes of the program to work on a project together, serving up nice replays each week for you to enjoy while we're on hiatus. But this year, we're doing it a little differently. For this year's hiatus project, we're taking a card game prototype that we created for an episode of Nice Games Jam, codename Roboston, and we're developing it into a full game. What's new is that we'll be recording our weekly working sessions and posting them each week, unedited, to Patreon. You'll get hours and hours of Ellen's wisdom, plus Stephen and I will be there, with absolutely none of the polish and presentation you've come to expect from the show. So, if you want to be a fly on the wall as three game designers discuss to death how many arms is the right number of arms for an 80-foot robot, you'll need to become a patron of the program by going to patreon.com slash nicegamesclub and supporting the show at any level. As a patron, you'll also get our special 200th episode bonus segment and more. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n patreon.com slash nicegamesclub. Once you've done that, Come back here and have a listen to this week's nice replay, Kapow, episode 175, originally published on May 19th, 2020. I picked this one for a few reasons. First, the title is very funny and you'll know when you hear it. But importantly, it's one of those episodes where we get to talk both about big picture things and specific technical things. It's also a big episode for me personally, as I finally got Metro Nexus running on Switch. So, as we predicted gdc summer is not actually happening <laughs> we were we were ahead of the curve this time yeah i mean by the time listeners hear this it will be, have been a couple weeks but well, yeah. we we had put out an episode where we were had a big discussion about like oh they shouldn't be selling tickets to this thing it's ridiculous no who's gonna buy a plane ticket and then the day we published that episode they post they, they posted news like digital only like it's just jk <laughs> You know, yeah, we, I guess we still have our down payment on Moscone that we'll use some other time or I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it's, it's probably good news. Definitely good news for GDC because then like people can feel free to purchase tickets. Yeah. Get access to that content. The question is, is um, will it be even cheaper now? Or are they still going to try to sell tickets for $400 or whatever it was? Yeah. What does good. it even look like? Yeah. I mean, and. Companies put in like a lot of effort for going there and doing things that are big, right? Yeah. yeah. But and what know, does it look like online? Yeah, it is interesting because when, because when, remember when GDC got postponed, it uh, they did put on some talks, right, on, on their YouTube channel and on on the mm-hmm. vault, but they it actually was canceled, right? That was a separate little. They threw up a couple of things. This actually is going to be a proper online conference, so um, it is kind of good that they're finally actually doing it in a way that is doable i suppose instead of just and they've got now some months to figure it out right Mm -hmm. yeah um and uh you know things on the ground change suddenly we're all able to go out at a certain point say uh, once it gets to early august it doesn't matter it's an online event like it will be Mm -hmm. regardless of like that's those plans were now not going to change and so they finally have some solid ground in which to plan a a thing finally Um, solid virtual ground yes exactly (laughs) Uh, maybe they'll have like GDC viewing parties or something if we're able to go outside. Yeah, by then. <laughs> I don't. I mean, be, I mean that'd be kind of fun. We used to do uh, E three com- uh, uh, viewing parties with a bunch of people. That was always fun, right? Um, yeah, cool. So yeah, it'd be cool to get people together and watch talks, like and, and mm-hmm. whisper to each other and uh, <laughs> take take photos of the slides on your screen with like, <laughs> yeah. <your> mobile phone, <laughs> like, yeah. like we do. That'd, that'd be, be neat. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, like the, there's going to be no expo and like all the sponsorship stuff that usually accompanies is, is going to be different. And hopefully they'll do more. Um, they'll actually do some of that um, online biz dev meeting stuff 
that they sort of promised uh, mm. that they were going to bring to this event um, because that was a big thing that was missing. And of course, the lore a lot of people suffered is they couldn't get their their uh, in development games in front of publishers and platform mm-hmm. holders, and and they couldn't get their middleware tools in front of developers and all the things that all the you know the dealings and handshakes that happen at a GDC that you know will not happen, and that was you know. I don't, who knows who would have gone if they held an event live anyway. So hopefully they come up with something that replaces that uh, in a way that works online. Yeah. But I feel better about it now than I did the last time we talked about it. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Uh, Ellen, what other bit of news do we have to talk about at the top of the show? Okay. I want to say ding. We, (laughs) including me (laughs) hit level 15 in star Trek online. Uh huh. Do you say ding? I know that was like a convention in World of Warcraft. Oh, but <laughs> I was like, what are you? You're talking to the wrong nice. audience here. Yeah. <laughs> but like, it feels like there are so many more appropriate sound effects you could use in Star Trek, but I can't make them with my mouth. So I guess it's ding. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that communicator it, chirp. It, I really like that sound. I, I can't. There you go. I can't mock that. Like, <laughs> maybe we'll put it in, the, in post. <laughs> it's the sound. What do the, the Klingons say or whatever when they greet each other? Kapala or something? I don't remember. Kapla. <laughs> Kapla, yes. Success. <laughs> Which to me right. just sounds like Kapow. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like if you said that to a Klingon, they would stop for a second and then like nod like they understand what you were trying yeah. to get at, you know? Sweet. That, that, that human said Kapow. He's trying. <laughs> 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 Just raise a glass of blood wine for him anyway. They <laughs> say kapow when they hit each other, so... Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, so we're all level 15 now, and this is for, yes. li- for listeners who for some reason have no idea what we're talking about, even though we've mentioned it on every show the past couple weeks. <laughs> I think um, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, we've been playing Star Trek Online together because Steven wanted to learn an MMO, and uh, Ellen and I are into Star Trek, and so you know the the two met in, in that. And uh, Stephen, uh, some regrets, but not a lot, right? Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's mainly an excuse for y'all to talk about Star Trek on the show more. Yeah, I regret that, but, <laughs> but otherwise, I'm actually I'm actually starting to enjoy it a lot more now. Yeah. So we're not now that we're at this higher level, we can like expand our ships and become like more of a role in our team. Yeah, we like before we were all kind of bland regular Star Trek crew or whatever and we all kind of did the same thing. But now like you've got special yeah, specialization where like I'm like a, a tank and I can like get aggro from all these other ships that are shooting at people and I can take more damage and uh in like uh Mark you've got like a bunch of fancy skills that like uh mess up other ships and stuff and prevent yeah them from i'm and i'm uh we, we all love this we all are really starting to love the space combat in that game like, mm-hmm. it feels like a real video game which is which is yeah which is really exciting and mm-hmm. um i'm really enjoying um uh, playing as tactically as possible and like you know uh, uh engaging a tractor beam and, and using the shield drain and choosing when to target what enemy systems i mean it's a game where you can just click 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 until the enemy dies like that is a perfectly yeah. okay way to play, and that's certainly what all we all we could do for a while. Mm-hmm. But now we're starting to get some options, and it's yeah. pretty. And we're starting to able to um, react to enemies' that uh, behavior, which is something also that was frustrating. Is like they kind of just sat there, or turned, or chased us, and fired, and there wasn't much. Like, why choose this target instead of that target when there's like eight ships? Like now, there's mm-hmm. like a little bit more variety in the enemies, and and because we all do these together as a squad. And we're chatting. We can we can be more like I'll go for this one, and and 
it's you know we're still kind of fumbling through it mostly but i think that's just an mmo thing um yeah and we're, we're not we're not expert military strategists so i'm sure that's also a big reason <laughs> but it's been more it's been a lot more fun to like outfit your ship with abilities and then use them it feels fulfilling even if a little bit of it is kind of an illusion mm. i think i think a huge and this might come back this might come up again later in the episode when we talk about fun and games, but I think a huge part of the the fun that's designed into MMOs is that communication with your yeah. fellow players, your fellow party members saying, okay, well, we're all at the same level and we all have similar options, but I would like to specialize in this. Um, does anyone have a problem with that? No, that means I can specialize in this and that'd be really good synergy. Um, and that's, I think that's supposed to be part of the fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and everybody sure. kind of like in our in our group. Uh, and there's five of us. We all kind of picked a thing we wanted to do, and then it all kind of matched up pretty well, mm-hmm. right? Like we have, yeah, we have a well balanced team of of people and stuff. Yeah, so we didn't have to do any bargaining with each other necessarily about what they want to pick, which is a thing you kind of mm-hmm. have to do if you want to be really most effective. And mm-hmm. uh, I think it, we we kind of kind of got lucky. It's like. Uh, those of us who wanted to be the high DPS players and those of us who wanted to be the healers or, or the tanks, we all got to just do what we wanted and there wasn't a lot of overlap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which was good. Yeah. We might find out in 10 levels that we yeah. totally botched it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Very true. If, if yeah. so, we'll let you know on the next meta for next game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. We'll tell you. <laughs> the one thing that's definitely happened that um, we've all, we all, like, what we do when we play is we'll do a couple missions and then we'll end our session together uh, sitting in open space customizing our stuff, right? Until we get bored of that and I'll, and say goodbye next time. And um, this time was interesting because suddenly there's, at level 15, it just gives you, well, we were all starting to figure out where all the buttons were. Like, that was a big yeah. struggle. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's uh, and I'm, I mentioned this in, in the past, last time we talked about this, like, it is just utterly inscrutable, like, where all the stuff is, what all the menus right. are. And there's so many shortcuts to sections in other menus that are designed to be so that you can get to them easy in gameplay. But as a result, there's no like canonical way to open a certain thing. There's like four ways to do it. And so, and and you only know the one you found first. And then suddenly you're like going through it's, it's Byzantine and ridiculous, but we were just all starting to get a handle on it. And then we finished this mission and we're like, Oh great. We're all Lieutenant commander now. And then it gives us a million more buttons and more mechanics (laughs) and more stuff that we had no hint was coming. Yeah. Like, (laughs) Yeah, here are your duty officers your duty officers are all holograms why I don't know what do you use them for I don't know why do you have 30 of them I don't know (laughs) it's very weird I mean it's it's fun because some of the new mechanics like sending out your crew on timed missions and then they come back with awards feels very much Assassin's Creed Brotherhood for those Mm -hmm. who played that game you kind of like recruit NPCs and then while you're busy playing the proper game they're off doing little, it's almost like a little mobile game in a way, like a Farmville kind of experience. And this game has that with your duty officer. You send them to like a diplomatic mission or you send them to go research a thing. And it had a lot of more Star Trek, you know, uh, flavor text, which is kind of fun. And then, Mm -hmm. and you, and that seems like a fun uh, time waster, but it is not something I expected at all from this game. It just dropped in our lap. And (laughs) and so I kind of resent it because I was like, I was just figuring out where all the buttons were. Uh yeah. Well, that's the thing. Uh, like MMOs, they just expand over time. The more yeah. you play it, the more stuff you get, and so it just it becomes more and more complicated. And actually, I guess it's probably a good strategy because like you become more invested in the system because you learn more things about it. So you want to keep playing it, 
and that right. gives them money. Right. So. <laughs> right, because because if you quit now, you've wasted so much time. Right. <laughs> it's fun though, right? You are still having fun. I see what you did yes. there. Yeah. <laughs> It's not a Martha transition, but I'm trying to channel her energy. Right, right. You'll get there. You'll get there. <laughs> yeah, so we wanted to talk about fun in games because it's something that we like to do is have fun. Well, generally speaking. I mean, yeah. speak for yeah. yourself, but okay. <laughs> um, but we were talking about, you know, as we were planning out topics, um, we got to chatting about this and one of the things that we talked about this you know one of the things that makes this topic so crunchy and interesting is how freaking subjective that is yeah. yes um and so i thought it might be fun to fun to kind of really kick this topic off by talking a little bit about some different things we've each experienced as fun not games but but also other things so games that you thought were fun but also like a project you thought was fun a movie you thought was fun a date you thought was fun um and just kind of like rapid fire share some of that just kind of get kind of like a to level set the fact that this is a very broad word yeah yeah maybe <laughs> yeah. find some commonalities because i think yeah the idea of what is fun is it is kind of a know it when you see it right right mm -hmm. in a way but 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 we try to as game designers uh make it a qualitative or quantitative uh calculation um, yeah which is ends up being kind of difficult, right? Right. Well, and I think specifically, I mean, and we'll probably talk about this as we, you know, talk about each of our individual experiences with fun. But I think that the it is because it is so subjective, it's not really something that you can aspire to create mm -hmm. in all players. I don't know. Yeah. Like like I think another way another way that people have approached developing games is like creating a game for an audience. Then that audience will find this game fun, yeah, and um, yeah. and so that makes sense. But like, if you're doing it from a a broad, like if you're making a AAA game, you want to make it as broadly fun as possible, so more people are interested in purchasing the game. Mm -hmm. um, but for, in that in that like respect, it's not you can't really make the game fun for all people, you know? <laughs> right, right. Because uh, like we're just we're all different, and we all find different things more more entertaining or less entertaining than other people. So, Stephen and Mark, what, what are some trip? What are what for each of you? What's a triple A game that you thought was fun? A triple Super Smash Brothers. Any of them. <laughs> <laughs> Even Melee. I mean, I I like Melee. Actually, Brawl is my least favorite Smash Brothers. To yeah, be honest, because there's random tripping. <laughs> I think that's most people's least favorite, right? Uh, yeah, actually, probably yeah. <laughs> Well, mine um, is the single player mode in Smash Brothers Brawl. I love, I love that. I love that. I had a lot of fun. Uh, we'll move on. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, those are you know that's a triple game. I enjoy. Yeah. For me, it's a. Uh, uh, I've been thinking about this a lot because the Assassin's Creed Valhalla um, uh, reveal just happened where we're sitting. Right. And yeah. uh, and I am not interested. Like, and we can mm. we can get into that at some point in the future. But, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but I love the first couple of Assassin's Creed games. The climbing through the city, like that idea of like uh, the 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 procedural animation made it really fluid and enjoyable, mm -hmm. and it, it allowed you to sort of like get a sense of mastery without a lot of wasted time. You know, there wasn't a lot of like trying to figure it out. You didn't have to master it. It just felt yeah. like you were a master, and 
it had a, it had a good combination of mechanic and presentation. Um, it was uh, sneaky, but you didn't hide behind things for too long. It was um, it gave you options, but not so many to overwhelm you. Um, right. And, and, and you know, uh, climbing through the through the the rooftops and stuff that that is a principally very much very fun experience for me. Um, which is weird how little of that is in Assassin's Creed games anymore. But again, whatever. <laughs> but yeah, what's fun for some is not fun for all, right? Right. Yeah. Well, Alan, okay. what about you? What did, what did uh, you about? Well, what so AAA? I think, oh my gosh, there's there's several, but I think the one that was going to come to mind um, that I was mentioned here was, would be Breath of the Wild. Mm-hmm. And I think the richness of the world was really fun to explore. But also, like, the world was very richly developed and planned and designed, but also, like, threaded through that entire design was just this sense of, like, playfulness. There were some serious and scary things, like, the robots. Um, <laughs> scary. But also, like, very <laughs> cute, like, little Korok puzzles. And the temples were, like, it was, there's this joyfulness that's, like, threaded and sprinkled out throughout the entire world mm-hmm. that you can just yeah. to engage with it. I mean, literally at any moment you can just sit, stop and be like, okay, I'm going to have fun this way right here, right now. And you can, and it gives you that option every single moment. Like you can just be riding your horse through the, through the grassland and then suddenly decide that you want to stop riding your horse and you want to have fun by gathering some things or catching bugs or whatever. And you mm-hmm. can do that. Um, and I think the, the freedom given to players in that environment, but also the care and and detail put into that environment with that fun in mind, that playfulness, like joyfulness in mind, really came through for me. Yeah. yeah. I'm thinking about in that game, like, oh, yeah, that game was fun, but it was also alternately fun and frustrating because as you played it and you cleared out things on the map, then the map became more and more empty. Yeah. Um, mm. And But at the same time, even as I was having that thought, I'm like, no, that actually worked in its favor because then when you came across something that you hadn't, something new and you hadn't seen something new in a while, like it almost inverse, was proportionally inverse to how frustrated you were. Like uh, you got that amount of joy from, yeah. it's like, oh, I haven't seen one of these in a while or like, oh, this has been here the whole time. Yeah. You know? And whereas early on, um, the, the, the world still feels big and empty from jump. But you are always running into stuff, right? And, and mm-hmm. as you progress through, but when you start to like try to sweep up all the you know extra things, or if you're a you know a, a, a masochist like going for all the Korok seeds, um, <laughs> like there's a lot of time you just spend tr- like doing a search grid or whatever. Like it, you're not mm-hmm. exactly experiencing the principal fun, but then you find something, and then suddenly it's way more enjoyable than if you had found that same thing thirty hours ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, and there's so much in that game that is spread out throughout the world that if you're focusing on one thing, that almost still gives you, I mean, unless you've really sunk a lot of time into it, if you're focusing on one thing like temples, then you're going to come across things that you probably didn't discover also in that area. Like, oh, there's this species of, you know, consumable. There's this, there's this food thing I can get here. This, this is great. I didn't know about this tree. What's this? Here's a Korak puzzle. Um. And I think the 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 planning, like the game was planned to allow the player to engage with the game in an unplanned way. That mm-hmm. makes sense. Um, yeah. That, that was a big factor for me that made it, that made that game fun. 
But to move the topic along, uh-huh. I want to talk about fun in a few different ways so that we can really dig into it. So what, yeah. what's a non-game experience that you guys thought was fun for you? Um, I like dancing. I find dancing to be fun. Yeah. Um, in many different forms, I guess. Like I'll go to a club and dance or like ballroom dancing with a partner. That is also fun to me. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I enjoy I enjoy multiple aspects of dancing. It feels good. <laughs> so, so yeah, that, that that's something that I I I find fun. Yeah, yeah. cool. So for me, I, I'm thinking of so much of what I like to do is tied up in what I like to make, and so mm. I'm just thinking about a, a something with not a lot of stakes, just just like. Uh, drawing right mm. um since i was very young it's always been something i've really just enjoyed and found really fun regardless of how successful the result was i suppose mm. so i can be a little bit more zen about it i guess but comparing that steven to your example like um uh, dancing is, a, is purely an activity right you're not you're not looking to win the competition although that might be something you'd be into <laughs> uh probably not actually with, with terms of dancing i wouldn't be interested in winning a competition i say right now because mm-hmm. i held i don't know any dancing competitions <laughs> but uh there's like yeah, no there's no makes, stakes right like there's, yeah, yeah. like you're just dancing and there's no way to not enjoy it yeah right yeah, basically yeah um I, I i the things i find fun tend to have a, some stakes which is like sure why i'm a grump a lot i think um is like <laughs> I, I, like i don't enjoy myself unless i unless i can see myself getting something out of it necessarily mm, but when right. i'm just sketching or drawing it, that thing i get out of it is has a much lower there's a lower threshold so i can i can more reliably just enjoy myself i think okay but sure. you know when, like writing or 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 coding or or just creating in any sense that's where i get the most enjoyment um mm-hmm. but it's it uh it takes like I can also not enjoy that, right? Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. and frequently don't. Sure, yeah, for sure. I think actually that's a that's something an angle I hadn't thought about for my response, which is like I really like learning things. Yeah, at mm-hmm. least up to a point. Um, but you know, learning how to make something using some a process or a tool that I've never used before, or um, you know, learning about a new location or traveling to a new place or just learning anything new is really fun for me. Mm-hmm. Um, up until I feel like someone's making me do it and then it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going through that right now. because I'm still going through school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. From home. Uh, and yeah, it's I, I enjoy learning too up to a point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just what that point is is different from person to person right uh-huh yep yeah yep. well it's i think and so this is where i wanted to like really get into the the topic about fun in games because mm. i think you know in talking about the various experiences we have about being fun one of the things we also talked about was like yeah i like this activity i like doing this thing i like this experience unless it's like this and so it's subjective yeah. for sure the different you know we each find different activities fun. We might find the same activities fun, but we find different aspects of them more compelling than others. Right. Um, but the context also matters a ton. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? true. So, and I think that that idea of subjectivity, but also, you know, context is extremely important in games. So one of the things that I know uh, Stephen wanted to rant about was like, is fun enough? 
Um, so this is really kind of like fun and games, I think, is is interesting as a topic if you're approaching it from two directions. One is, what is it? And the other one is, yeah, okay, but is it enough to just be like, this game is fun? Uh-huh. Or as a designer and developer, are you thinking, okay, but what makes it fun? Or is it just something you stumble on? So I kind of want to just see what, what in those sentences sparks off Steven's rant and go from there. <laughs> it's not hard to get me to go. Uh, <laughs> so I, I guess basically my issue with the whole idea of fun in video games is that we oftentimes are striving towards that as our goals for making a game where like games can be so much more than just fun. Mm-hmm. Um, like we allow other forms of media to be different things and other than just like fun spectacles. Uh, like movies can be challenging or sad or scary or uh, what have you, or like hard pieces of you know media to watch, but like you can still gain something from it. You can still learn something from it um, and you can enjoy it in a different way, not in a fun way, but like in a, I don't know, an experienced way. Yeah. I can't come up with a better term than that. Um, but like with video games, we oftentimes are like, is the, is the game fun? Well, then it's worth playing. If it's not, then it's not worth playing. And I, or it's, or it's an art game that's meant to be challenging and not not meant, you know, like not meant not destined for success. Yeah, well, yeah, and not just that, but like we'll like separate an art game from a game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, and I think part of the issue is we're using the term "game" to describe video games, which I mean, uh, game implies that the, the, it should be fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's like a whole other debate we can talk about later. But like. <laughs> Uh, I just think that, like... I mean, you never played Battleship with my sister, so... <laughs> <laughs> Not oh. fun? <laughs> I don't want to get into it. <laughs> um, but, like, I feel like I feel like as a medium, we are sometimes limiting ourselves by only chasing what is a fun, quote-unquote, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, I mean... For part of the issue is like it is subjective so like even if like a game is good and interesting um to play it might it might actually it might end up being still fun for somebody and so like when they're designing something that is a compelling piece of art um it's still like playing the experience of playing through it can still be fun and so like you you might still boil down all of your decision making to i was trying to find the fun mm-hmm. um but so like it's it's kind of I guess it's kind of conflicting and then like it's not it's not as simple as just you can't just like when you're making a game you can't just say I'm trying to find the fun but you also can't say I'm not trying to find the fun yeah you right. know you're trying to find like okay so let's take Inside for example have you guys yeah. played Inside mm-hmm. I have not okay I won't it's scary play. right <laughs> it's scary it's exactly scary. I right. would totally okay I up until like the last five to ten minutes of the game, I would not use the word fun to describe it. Uh-huh. Okay. And I won't spoil it specifically. It was scary. It was super scary. It was a scary <laughs> game. It was tense all the way through. Yeah. But then those um, last five minutes, you had a blast? I did kind of have a blast. It's funny you say that because I felt exactly the opposite. Really? Once, <laughs> once the big reveal, the twist, and then the the game speeds up a little bit and it gets wacky and I mean, it's it's old enough now, but we'll, we'll, let's not spoil it. But like it, like I didn't enjoy that part at all. I had a lot of difficulty going with it on that journey. Whereas yeah. previous to that, the tension and the the drama and the the spookiness and the atmosphere really worked for me. 
And I really yeah. had a lot of fun with it. And then once it did that big twist, which everybody loves, I was just like, wait, <laughs> this is what it is? And I, I couldn't. And then the game wasn't over yet. So I had to like, I, I slogged through the, the, the end of it. Sure. And I, yeah. I, I think that's probably a unique experience. I think most people really enjoyed it after that twist. But it's, it's funny the way you described like it was not fun exactly until then. Because I felt exactly the opposite. Yes, I would have described it as really compelling. Yeah. And then uh, then in that last five minutes for me, I would use the word fun to describe Man, it. Man, what, what if we use the term compelling instead of fun when we describe like this kind of stuff? Because like yeah. any any game that I played that I enjoyed that was not necessarily fun, I would find I would describe as compelling. Mm-hmm. Okay, what's an example? Um well okay, so uh Popo and Yo, I don't know if y'all have played this game. Um but it's like you basically like you play as this kid and there's this monster that like follows him, him around. And uh, but like you can find ways to like train it and stuff. And it turns out that blah, 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 spoilers. Uh, <laughs> um, but like I, I would not describe that game as fun, but I would kind of, I would describe it as compelling. Like narratively, it is very interesting. And like the mechanics of the game uh, are meant to to fit the narrative. And I don't know that it hits like all of the points super well, but I do think that like it was, I do think that like it was, uh, I thought it was compelling, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. like mechanically and narratively. And so like that's how I would maybe describe that game. But I wouldn't necessarily describe it as a fun game because like I don't know that I was having a ton of fun like playing through it. It's kind of a, it's like a third person platformer, but like the platforming isn't super great. Right. And it has puzzles, but like the puzzles aren't super great either. <laughs> Um, but like, I think it, I think it all still like worked when you combine all of that stuff together. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I, I like the way y'all described it. I like the way you described inside and in that, like you felt that, well, for you, Mark, you felt that the first, most of the game was compelling up to a point. And then Ellen, you found that the game was compelling and then it became fun. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but like you both still found something of the note in the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even yeah. if you wouldn't necessarily describe the the experience you were having as a fun experience. Well, the yeah. way you're describing this game is like, it's got platforming, it's got puzzles, but they're not great, but that's not, yeah. a, that's not a hit against it. Uh, Inside right. very much like that, where it's a, it's a side scrolling platformer that is like, does not have a lot of interesting ideas. Like, mm-hmm. like, you know, up to the twist, in which case it's one really big, interesting idea. Um, <laughs> okay. But prior to that, it's fairly mundane and simple. And, mm-hmm. but that is again, not a knock against it. Like, it, yeah. Um, it, like it's the puzzles are not challenging and sometimes they're even a little bit like, Oh, that's all it is. But like, at, yeah, it's still incredibly compelling all the way through. Yeah. And right. if the game was much more of a moment to moment thrill ride or more like, or even more like charming or delightful then perhaps, I mean, it's a supposition, but maybe it, uh, and maybe it's giving it too much credit, but maybe it would mm-hmm. remove from how compelling it is because so much of it is about the atmosphere and the tension and that, that moment to moment, the walking, left to right um, yeah which is something that is not really a game experience exactly um but is required for the type of compelling that it is right yeah 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 that's yeah i i huh the way yeah the way you're describing it is like yeah like a lot of times we we use these different forms of uh mechanics to to take the player on some form of an experience Mm -hmm. um and so it's not uh that uh yeah i guess like that experience can be a multitude of things and like the way you i think the way both of y'all described um 
uh, insight is that like it is tense, and that was like a compelling uh, emotion in the moment <laughs> as you were playing through the game. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And so like that could be something that like you could try to. And I think that like games have that fun games are not fun games. They have like they have a lot of them have fun tension filled moments um, in them um, that like you can also aspire towards. There's just like I, I guess like. It's kind of difficult because I feel like I'm standing on a soapbox saying, "Why are y'all looking for fun? Stop it!" <laughs> but, <Yeah. laughs> but like, I just, I, I just want people to think more deeply about what experience you want players to have. If you're designing a moment and you're and it, you're aiming for it to be fun. Um, mm-hmm. You may miss out on other things it can be. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and even if you're like aspiring for it to be fun, there are different kinds of fun. Mm-hmm. Like. There are different, like, I mean, we were just describing as we were uh, talking about, like, different games we like to play, the different types of fun that we were having in these games. Yeah. Like, I, the reason I enjoy Smash Bros. games is because they're competitive and I like competing with other people. Um, and, uh, like, but for you, Mark, you liked all of the, the like, how all the systems came together in Assassin's Creed and it, it made it a fun and compelling game. Yeah, and a lot um, of it is is because I, I, uh, I like single-player experiences. I like stories being told. And I like yeah. having a hand in that. I kind of yeah. like, I, I like be, you know, being the hand that weaves the web, I guess. Right. And so games that make that sort of like effortless, but also rewarding, I, I, I get a big thrill out of. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas games that throw up like, uh, and that includes challenge, right? But, yeah. but that's why I don't like competitive games that much because the challenge is unpredictable. And, and right. I, I don't enjoy that as much. Um, sure. But yeah, like you were saying, it is, it's very different for different people. And so mm-hmm. thinking about your audience is important. When you're designing yeah. that. I think and going to what Stephen has been saying, you know, has been yelling from the top of the soapbox. <laughs> um, but like if you're just asking your your players, hey, is this fun? You're missing that nuance because we've talked, you know, on this podcast, we've talked about games that we've all played that we found fun. But we found those games fun for different reasons. And yeah, so if right. you just are asking the question fun, <laughs> you're not going to get the nuance that you want to really craft those moments right, from right. the bottom up like mm-hmm. with a strong foundation and with interesting, interesting details. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steven, I do want to maybe I've been thinking about this, this whole topic there. Sure. Maybe it's even pushing back a little bit on the idea that, that um, like if we're accepting as a premise that fun is not necessarily uh, something the game has to be, um, yeah. but we're also trying to sort of define what that means. Um, right. uh, what if he phrased it a different way? So I'm thinking of like a film, um, you know, like a film like Solaris, which is this, it's, it's, it's hard to watch, right? It's an old okay, Russian sure. sci-fi film. It's hard yeah. to watch. And it's a, it's a real thinker. Um, uh-huh. but, <laughs> and it's very slow, uh-huh. but I would describe it as fun to watch, but the movie okay. itself is not fun. Right. Um, huh, or a, okay. a more maybe commonly known example is like 2001. Which, oh, yeah. you know, like there's some jokes in there, but like it's not it's not mm-hmm. a fun movie, but right. you can have fun at the movies. And I yeah. think that that games are different in that you are because it's a, it's uh, regardless of a genre, it's participatory, it's first person. You are the person who is experiencing it. So we tend mm-hmm. to to conflate the the subject matter, the, the what is what happens in a game with what the player is doing. Whereas yeah. um, if you can think of a game that is not itself fun, but a, uh, like it's but a person can have fun playing it like that sounds like a contradiction. But I think we think that about 
like the examples you were saying, movies and books and things that are not described as, you know, like uh, uh, happy or, or joyous or fun. We mm-hmm. still have no problem going, enjoying them. Right. Yeah. Um, like a movie that like comedies don't um, uh, get higher box office than tragedies. Right. Right. So it's, it's obvious that we don't find fun in watching a movie based on how much fun is in the movie. And mm-hmm. so if we think of games the same way, then maybe we can let uh, the burden off of fun and make it more like it should be fun to experience. The game itself doesn't have to depict or or provide. Does that make I'm kind of uh, yeah. praying on the edges, but like maybe we can think of it in that way instead. Sure. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I like the way you're framing it. It's like instead of yeah, instead of like you aspiring to make the game itself fun you're trying you're aspiring to make the experience fun and that's yeah. i mean i'm kind of mm. advocating for that myself basically right and it's really like, easy to just like say like isn't that the same thing like it's it's hard to, to make definitions for this but i, I think people yes. probably understand what we're both aiming at here yeah and i mean half the problem is is like one thing that i really like about academia if in games specifically is mm. that they're trying to define these kinds of things and they're trying to like create a model or a system that like describes what things we have been saying, like fun or genres of things or whatever, what they are exactly. Right. Right. And that's helpful because like when you have that definition, you can use that, you can use those, that language to better describe what things you're trying to do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And that's something I I lack because I don't have that academic experience in games. Well, Um, I think they're incredibly, because games are just so, it's such a huge, word there are just yeah. so many things that fit under that category yeah that it becomes you know it's a major challenge for from an academic perspective if you're trying right. to come up with like a good taxonomy <laughs> it totally Ooh. is yeah um well, but like but I, 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 I i yeah thank you for bringing that up though mark because i think that that framing is valuable for people to hear the more i think about it the more we talk about it the less interested i am in defining everything yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? me too. The, the, actually, the 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 less interest I am in the academic element of it, where it we're really sorting and and um, which isn't to say it's ephemeral. I mean, I'm very much, I'm a person who loves the Dewey Decimal System, so I'm <laughs> I don't want to I don't want to <laughs> say like it's all just in the air. But at a certain point, you do kind of know it and you see it. And the thing we do as artists is say, I want this moment to elicit a feeling in the player, mm-hmm. and so and that feeling is it is I think we're already pretty comfortable with that feeling being anything. Um, yeah as designers and so maybe that is all that needs to happen and then like the finding the fun i agree with you like that feels like an oppressive term almost yeah. uh, that that uh, weighs too heavily on designers yeah you want it to be a compelling valuable experience for your players mm-hmm. yes part of what makes that experience compelling and valuable can be fun it right. can also be reflection it could be discovery it could be the irritation right frustration like, yeah, yeah. So, so much <laughs> yeah. of what game what makes games fun later is them being annoying now mm-hmm. right Very true. and I, I think i think maybe i'm being unfair to like developers because i don't i don't see like people describing games they're making as like they've been they were just trying to find the fun and they stumbled across blah 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 mm-hmm. i do see a lot of people now um being more descriptive about like the emotions that they want players to feel and experience as they're playing the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, it does seem like as, as a, as game developers, we're, we're progressing more towards a, uh, a larger frame of reference when it comes to like making games. 
Mm-hmm. But I, I guess I just want to caution that and, and for like listeners who aren't necessarily interested in making games themselves, but are interested in like, um, like the experiences that makers, creators like uh, go through as they're developing a game. Um, it's help, I think it might be helpful for players to like see that not games aren't necessarily just supposed to be fun. Yeah. I guess a lot of times when I see people describing games as just supposed to be fun, I see it from the perspective of uh, a player, like literally a player who's not making a game. It's like this. Well, this game isn't fun. I'm not interested in playing. It. Right. Um, and I and I, I I guess I'm pushing back more against that than I am towards development because I think as a as as a media we're we're moving past we're moving past that. Right. Right. Could as it be idea. that we we all as a society talk about we we like we judge games on a threshold that maybe if we in a vacuum we wouldn't. Is that kind of maybe what mm. you're saying? Like, yes. when when players yeah. or or press or or reviewers or or I don't know people on Reddit, I guess, like the community right. of people who experience games, when they yes. we all agree that like this should be fun. Like, why is it that we agree that? Is it because like we just we think we're supposed to, or in a vacuum would we actually use those same kind of criteria? Yeah, that I think that's a good way of describing it, and I think that part of the reason is just like that is how we had in the past described things. Yeah, in games, like I, I do think that like having a more definitive language that we can use to describe experiences that players can go through is valuable. In that, people can understand better the nuances of games. Um, as as a as a person who's not like interested in making games, if like if you run across a term that like that was regularly used, um, then you have a better understanding of like that experience. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's how, I guess that's how language is like created anyways, right? Like mm-hmm. you use, you develop, um, you develop language so you can convey information. So we just needed, I think we're starting to develop more of a language to convey more information about what a game experience can be. Maybe. <laughs> that was a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. Big topic. It is a big topic. It's a big topic. I do like when we, I do like when we end on maybe. That feels like a really good place to end. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. I'm really curious to hear what our listeners have to say on this particular topic. Yes. Yeah. It's just there's so much to be said about this one. There's, um, there's a lot of, uh, of um, ideology, perhaps, where people are like, this is what I believe. Like, I, I want to hear yeah. what people believe. I do. Mm-hmm. I want to hear. I also want to hear if you think like we're totally wrong because that's yeah. interesting. So <laughs> give us your thoughts. We will assimilate them. <laughs> that was a Star Trek reference. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, you can leave a review on Nice Games Club uh, on your favorite podcast app. We like those because they give us fancy stars and the, the people can see it and it says five out of five wait wait, wait 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 hold up <laughs> fancy there are fancy stars now i mean they're golden and they're like Ooh. five pointed those are fancy right <laughs> as opposed to like a three-pointed star yeah exactly we know we don't got triangles but these are like five pointed they give us two extra points well i'm gonna look into this <laughs> Yes. Uh, well, yeah, check it out on your favorite podcast app and uh, leave us a review. Sometimes we read them on the show, too. 
like this review, for example, uh, Lou57, who's a regular listener from Canada, says, It's good to be part of the club. The variety of subjects discussed on this podcast will satisfy anyone looking for a good game dev podcast. The hosts are charming, and every episode I feel like I'm just sitting next to them. Every episode they accompany me in my commute, and it makes me want to work on, more on games when I get home. They are a boost of sunshine. Also visit their new cool website. <laughs> yeah, also do that. <laughs> yeah. So we this is a fun review because um, uh, because we are not any longer sitting next to each other, and so it's, right. it's nice to know that uh, we can impart that feeling without it actually happening. Um, mm-hmm. So that's good, good feedback. I love it. Yes. <laughs> um, and also, uh, Lou listens to us on their commute. That's not a thing that happens for a lot of people anymore. Um, well, you can commute from your bedroom to your office. Room. It's true. It's true. <laughs> just, just make it take an hour. Yeah. Right. If you're, you might need to do it a couple times if you want it to take a whole episode. Right. <laughs> we we so do like, go on. Maybe commute by doing a very slow worm across the floor. <laughs> You'll get exercise too. <laughs> Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Fileo fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Okay, this next topic is mine. Um, talking about porting your game. Um, in our uh, regular clubhouse meetings going back probably a year, I've been... I definitely want to do this topic eventually. And mm. every time we would get together and say what are next topics for the next month steven you'd go there's this one you've been talking about for a while <laughs> yeah and you finally convinced me to do it so um and part of the reason why it's it's maybe more more uh, appealing to me now to finally get to it is that um i've done this for two projects now so uh in in different ways so when we talk about porting your game uh it kind of means a couple of different things i think popularly like amongst gamers uh porting has a few meetings as well and developers, I think it is even less certain what you mean when you say it. Yeah. Um, but a lot of time, you know, like Super Mario All-Stars, right? Like a, a game that uh, appeared on one platform and is then imported to another one. Or, mm-hmm. you know, back in the days when those architectures were wildly different between like Super Nintendo and and uh, and Sega Genesis. Like, you know, you uh, porting was something that was uh, n- either one to another or sometimes wasn't done at all. It was just two separate games made, right? So right. even then, it's it's not a, a, a solid definition. Uh, as developers today, we tend to think of porting in terms of like making your project and then building to another target. So if you're a Unity developer, you're pretty familiar with this. You can make a Windows build, you can make a Mac build, and people will call it the Mac port. But Unity yeah. itself is a, is an abstracted intermediary language. Like it doesn't, you know, it's not native to anything. So even your Windows version is is a port in this by this definition. So it's very fuzzy. <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> so for um, for Widget Satchel, um, you know, that's uh, uh, was launched on PC and Switch. And so I talk a lot about, in, you know, when I'm talking to other people about it, I talk about the Switch port. Um, but I'm talking about that. I'm talking about just targeting it from the same code base. And so I'll, I'll you know, get into that a little bit. Um, I think um, when people are making games for PC and mobile, there's like a lot of design considerations. If you're making for PC and console, 
there's fewer, perhaps, depending on the features mm. of, of those platforms. Um, but in Unity and in other uh, sort of uh, um, engines that can target multiple things, you generally will um, either it's an option in a menu or you install it as a module um, for uh, for consoles, for, uh, you know, for Switch, for PS4, for Xbox. Um, you you install an extra piece of software onto your Unity build that you get from uh, Sony, Microsoft or Nintendo or you get from Unity by way of those those companies, uh, depending on which. And all this is under NDA. And so uh, you can't just install it to try it out. Um, you, you also need dev kits. Um, so this yeah. is not something that's a surprise to our listeners. Um, but it makes it kind of weird because um, it is there's not a ton of instructions as to like what to do. Uh, and what to do first, I think, is the trick. Right. Part. Yeah, that's true. That's the part where I had when I when I first started working with um, switch stuff in Unity was like, OK, these are the things I need to do. What should I do now? Because I'm still working on the game for PC. So should I be working on the uh, making a switch build so that I get that going? Or should I finish the game first or how? I don't know. Like, it is kind of tricky. And if you of course, if you plan to launch simultaneously, then you can kind of mix and match. Um, but Stephen, you've done this also for Treasure Stack. Yes, uh, you worked on uh, three different platforms at the same time. We did, yeah, and I, I was lucky in that, like we hired contractors, uh, Andy and Scott, and, and Andy's been on the show before. Mm-hmm. Um, where like they helped me, they basically did the Xbox port. And yeah, I worked on the Switch port and the PC ish port. Right. Um, and so yeah, like it's it's um the way you're describing it is pretty accurate though. Like you you kind of just like work on the game until you get. The way we've been doing it is you just work on a game until you get to a point where you're like, uh, okay, time to move on, make, an, make a Switch build. Yeah. Now. And then, like, you just start the porting process for the Switch. Right. And you're not done um, with the game yet. You just, right. It's, and, uh, you know, the tools are such that you can kind of move around. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, but yeah, if you're explicitly trying to, like, if this is like an, I guess if this is like an old game that you're, like, explicitly porting to a new console, you want to start using the new features of that console. Or if you're making an exclusive, you want to start using the features of that console. And so, like, yeah, like, the design if you're putting it on the, issues, right? Yeah, if you're putting it on the Switch, you want to make sure that, like, you feature HD rumble in some way or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, those, and, and making of, sure that, like, if you're developing, especially if you're developing simultaneously, like, working on, like, HD rumble is, um, um, uh, it's completely different from normal rumble in a way that's yes. frustrating. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> um, because you'll get it working exactly the way you want it, and then you'll be like, "Oh, okay. Well, this now I need to replicate this experience, sort of. Or is this going to be a unique to this platform, and then it doesn't exist at all in the other platform? And like, oh, well, we can't ship a PC game without Rumble. It's like, well, but people will use mouse and keyboard, so they don't care. And like, mm. it, like a lot of this is, um, it's difficult because I think when you're, especially when you're working on consoles, you tend to there's two things you do you design broadly to the lowest common denominator, right? Right. And, and this is something that, like, you've probably complained that other developers have done, but you will do it too. And you will... Yeah, yeah, uh, you will. You, you know, it's like, there's a, there's a cool feature on the PlayStation 4 controller. It's got a speaker on it, right? And so right. it would be so cool to impart information to that player. So you come ag- uh, uh, up against, like, a, a you know, a, a console somewhere in the game and then you want the 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 audio to come out of the speaker but the speaker's kind of tinny so that's going to change our design so that in the world of this game the speaker in the device in the world is also going to be kind of low quality and tinny so that it mm. sounds ge- all this and then suddenly you're like well for <laughs> xbox are we just going to play that sound through speakers but then why does it need to be tinny like mm-hmm. and so it, it that's a lot of thinking that you 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 will you wish you would do 
in order to make all these things work really well, but you generally won't. Yeah. Um, and you'll just you'll just work for the lowest common denominator, and you end up not exploiting some of those features. Then the other right. thing you will definitely all do um, is after you've designed the least common denominator, you will then try also to exploit those unique features. <laughs> yeah, but you but you won't have as much of a solid grounding to do it. And mm-hmm. and that uh, Widget Satchel had a little bit of that with the um the with the special joy sock feature where your your the character's socks uh, which are collectible you can collect thirty pairs of socks in the game if you have the if you're playing on Switch uh you can um you can choose the joy sock which will have the colors of your socks left and right match your left and right Joy-Con colors and that's a cool yeah. Switch unique feature that was really really fun but I couldn't really develop any game mechanics out of that because then then it wouldn't then those mechanics couldn't exist in other, like I couldn't have you collect the joy sock because right. then what you know or collect one than the other or match try to find the, the the matching color to the 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 joy-con you own in some kind of puzzles like I couldn't do any of that mm-hmm. because right. then that would just have to not exist in the PC version or in a totally different way so it ends up being a pretty small feature even though it was a lot of work to implement it's not it doesn't really leverage the feature as much as it certainly could have. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I think this is different. Uh, it's a different experience between like an indie developer and a AAA developer. Yeah. Because AAA developers have a ton more resources. And so they're not going to do it they, either, though. Like, <laughs> right? They, I mean, they, you're, you're right in that they won't do it very thoroughly, but uh-huh. they can do it more. But isn't more that than that's me. evidence of, of, of this is that you're even, right, even with right. all the money in the world, <laughs> all the you're time and all the resources still you're still not going to use that speaker on the DualShock 4 <laughs> like, yeah there, you know actually um, I've been watching Eric play uh, Horizon Zero Dawn yeah. mm-hmm. on the PS4 and that has a feature that does use this, the speaker on the controller and it's freaky I, <laughs> it's so unexpected yeah well that, that is a PlayStation exclusive yeah that's true. I think Great. it's coming to PC, but uh, but that it was designed for PS4. So those yeah. are, those are the games that use that stuff. But you're but when you're porting your game across different consoles, different platforms, it is really difficult to to be as uh, thoughtful and successful with that kind of stuff. Well, yeah, because you kind of have to split your you kind of split your mind yeah. around in order mm-hmm. to do it. Yeah, like I think the way you were describing, it, like you have to do, like if you, if we wanted to do that for Witch and Satchel, we wanted a Switch exclusive thing. And we wanted to put it on other platforms as well. We would have to design a Switch exclusive thing and then either come up with some replacement. Some equally good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Or or just like not give them the feature, in which case then like you're giving the Switch exclusive features, which is something that games do too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But like then it's weird. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's like and even with this the Horizon Zero Dawn piece, it's a PS4 exclusive, but it's also when coming back to the idea of fun. It's not a very compelling thing. Like if it came <laughs> through the TV or the sound bar, it really doesn't change the experience that much. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it's true. So yeah, so, even when you are exclusive, like how much how far can you go with some of that stuff? Yeah. Right. Like, well, hey, and if you're tr- yeah, if you're trying to create like a compelling experience on all platforms, then you need to be able to look at that and say, "Okay, I can't use this thing here. I need to be able to create an equally compelling experience here." So Maybe I just won't make this first one that compelling. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is tricky because you, you're, you're, uh, you, you'll have these great ideas, and then you'll, then you have to face that choice. Like, is it just going to be for this, or am I going to also have to come up with two or three other great ideas? 
Um, and and, yeah. and then the further you embed those things into the heart of your game, um, the more it just makes more sense to not port it anymore, right? And then yeah. it's like, well, suddenly now I'm not selling to those audience. It's like, it just has mm -hmm. so many different considerations, um, which is really tricky. But um, so moving on a little bit from design stuff, because I want to talk mm -hmm. about um, the, uh, technically how you can pull off any of this stuff uh, when you're using Unity particularly, but this is true in any platform, is um, a lot of times when you, you, you're working on, uh, you're choosing a, 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 a lead platform, right? So you'll hear developers say this sometimes, that like, oh, PC is our lead platform or PS4 is our lead platform, but we're also releasing on PC or whatever. A lot of times, all that really means is that your day-to-day -day testing environment is with that platform. Um, and yeah. so even if you're targeting other platforms as well, it's the one that you think of as the default. It's the one you test first. It's the one you're working on first. So for most developers, certainly most indie developers, uh, that is PC, right? Because mm -hmm. you can just test it on your development hardware. Um, right. in, a, you know, in, a, in a larger environment where you have a, a more robust uh, QA suite or uh, piles of dev kits, sometimes that can be for console, even if you are shipping on PC as well. Um, and a lot of that can have to do with the technology you're using. If you're trying to target that particular hardware to get the most out of it, then PC might not make a good lead platform because uh, you, you, you want to hit the threshold of the, the exploiting the technology of the PlayStation 4, the Xbox, or the Switch. And then, yeah, you're going to release on PC, but like, while you're working day to day, it's important that you keep in mind all the considerations of the, your lead platform, right? Yeah. So once you've done that, um, then you actually need to like implement these, the same feature in multiple, uh, on, on multiple platforms. So Rumble is a really good example of this. So on Switch, uh, you have your HD Rumble. And, you know, uh, even when you're using a lot of uh, uh, tools, uh, third party tools to enable that stuff, it just works a lot differently. Like it's just it's mm -hmm. um, you, you know, you play audio samples on a Joy-Con. It has a, essentially a, a the, the, the rumble motor in it is essentially a, a kind of speaker, um, whereas on um, uh, on other platforms, it's a it's a it's just a, a piece of metal that rotates around a stick. Like it's yeah. it's tech, it's so different. And and um, uh, um, how you do that technically is different as well. But even in those cases, um, the thing you should be doing is abstracting all of your code. So when you have, a, you know, okay, my character got shot. Okay, so they definitely need to rumble the controller in some fashion. So you need to write yourself a, a class or some functionality that says, okay, the uh, uh, you know, rumble happens. And these are all the parameters I'm giving it. And then in that, that piece of code, that class or whatever, then you have your conditionals. You say, is this PlayStation? Then run this code. Is it Xbox? Run this code. You don't yeah. want to put that in your main gameplay loop, and you definitely don't want to say start coding in all your HD Rumble stuff for Switch directly, and then get around to adding other platforms later. You want to, for as soon as possible, abstract that and create your own API uh, for those features that you know will be different on different platforms. Um, yeah, and that can include things like dead zones for controllers, like for for joysticks. Um, it can. It's definitely the case of like saying, I don't want to program this to happen when I hit the A button. I want it to program it when I when I hit the jump button. And then the jump button is going to be different. And that's not that you will also help you for controller remapping. But certainly on different mm. controllers, um, you know, uh, you can have things that will that when you say a button, it means cross on PlayStation. Fine. But on on switch, do you mean B because that's in the same position? Or do you want a to be that button as well? So there's stuff you have to think about um, really early on when you decide what you're porting to um, if you're planning on shipping on multiple platforms and abstraction yeah. is the key. Uh, strategy uh, to take care of that stuff. Yeah, 
and it, it's valuable even if you're not like explicitly trying to port it immediately because like if you want if you have plans to port it to another console or something like that um it i found it to be very valuable to just be able to test random features you're trying to implement in the game mm -hmm. in unity on the unity editor and if you always have to make a build in order to test whatever functionality you're trying to implement yeah then it it at that time it slows you down right your, right right, right. production yeah so. and um uh, yeah, Switch in particular, like you, you know, you can hook your Joy-Con to your PC. It's, it was just a Bluetooth controller, but you don't mm -hmm. get it. It's a di completely different controller as far as your computer is concerned. So it's right. not a it's not a super good strategy. So you'll want to have things like if you're really testing Switch features, you'll you'll that abstraction will help too because you can say is let's say you're just designing a Switch exclusive feature, but you don't want to make a Switch yeah. build every time you test. Well, right. you can make an abstracted Rumble class. That does all the normal things, and then also, if if you're in the editor or on PC, it will also on screen in a debug window display information that you can't uh, deliver because you're using an Xbox controller to test or something. Like mm -hmm. um, the, that level of abstract or that advantage of abstraction also works. Um, yeah, for sure. There's certainly a topic in uh, getting even deeper into this element, but there's more to porting a game than just targeting simultaneous platforms. Sometimes you actually are taking an old project and moving it to a new platform. Or in the yeah. case of Metro Nexus, which is my other sort of case study here, is you're porting it to an entirely new code base. You're essentially rewriting it completely. And when I say you, mm -hmm. I'm talking about me. I'm doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Metro Nexus, um, um, longtime listeners have, will have heard a lot about that game and its history. But uh, just a, a, a brief recap. Uh, basically, it's um, it started as a Flash game, right? And so I was a Flash developer before I was any other kind of developer. And so um, I uh, had um, I had just learned about this new thing called Citrus Engine, which was a way to make um, a, like a state machine in uh, in ActionScript, which is the language of Flash. And so I, I'm like, oh, I'll uh, I'll put together a little project, and that it, like all little projects, it got bigger and bigger. And the thing about this um, this code base that I was using is that it really gave me a first taste of of a professional game development workflow, which I'd never had mm. before. Right, it, working in Flash, a lot of times you just have timelines, and you can and, and you know there's lots of ways to make interesting games just with a, a simple uh, a, a Flash API without any extra libraries. But um, being introduced to things like an input uh, manager or a, 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 like a an, uh, uh, asset collections and stuff like that. That was something that Citrus Engine introduced me to. And of course, anyone who knows, knows Unity or Unreal or any of the other platforms will know a lot about these things and a lot about you'll, you'll, you'll be familiar with learning this stuff for the first time. So this was the case for me. And so yeah. um, my goal initially for the project, this was 2015, uh, was to make something that I could put on the Ouya because that was brand new at the time. Um, I think about that. And I might have the dates a little bit off, but my plan was to get it on Ouya. And that was my first um, introduction to uh, porting it as a philosophy because the Ouya um, was an Android console, right? So I needed to make, port this to Android. So I needed a, this Flash project to, to, to work on, on Android. That was not a problem for Flash, even going back 10 years ago. Um, uh -huh. You know, uh, Flash still powers a lot of mobile games. Um, but, uh, the, that was my, my plan was to get it on Ouya and because Ouya, uh, uh, had a crappy controller and supported <laughs> every controller in the universe. Um, the contention was, oh, okay. So, um, most people who have an Ouya will probably have other controllers. They're not going to buy a second Ouya controller. And so, uh, my first sort of notion of like supporting multiple devices was in creating an abstracted controller manager. 
so I could uh, uh, do at the time PS3, PS4, and Xbox controllers, um, all on Android. And so from the beginning of the project, I was very much like thinking about the the code base as separate from its delivery. Um, and uh, in the in those early years, like I even put it on Windows Phone um, because there was mm-hmm. this great project called Windows Astoria, which was uh, um, uh, during the Windows 8 days, Microsoft had a bunch of plans to get Windows apps on other platforms or to get other platforms apps onto Windows. And mm-hmm. one of them was uh, the, the, they were called um, Project Centennial, which is a way to get Win32 apps like a traditional Windows app into the Windows Store, right? Like a UWP, if, if people are familiar mm-hmm. with, with, these, uh, with this, these platforms. And it was trying to get, get all types of apps and all types of code onto Windows next generation like application platform. And uh, not all of that panned out. And one of them was uh, uh, Project Astoria, which was a way to say, because this is when Windows was still trying to get Windows on mobile phones. Sure, yeah. Astoria was a way to get Android uh, apps onto Windows. And the way they did it, they, they did this with iOS too. And that's still a project that, that's, that's, that's available where you take your iOS code base like that you wrote in, in Objective-C or Swift or whatever, and you can just compile it to a Windows phone app. That was something you used to be able to do. Um, before Windows Phone went away. But you can still do that on Windows. Um, Astoria was different. It was just putting, because Android is open source, you put the Android runtime on Windows Phone. And so you could just load an Android app. And so and there were ways to get certain uh, features. And so uh, for a time, I had these $40 Windows Phones. um, Because you can get Windows Phones really, really cheap back then because they they had lots of low low power and, and, and budget devices. And so I spent probably six months uh, testing out Metro Nexus on Windows Phone because I could, but it required, um, it was an Adobe Air app, so it's Flash, compiled to Android, and then uh, being run on a Windows Phone. So it was like seven layers deep. So going back forever, this project has has like moved through the ether of of these different like targets and runtimes and platforms. That's cool. So it's I I and I learned a lot about um, organizing code and about and about abstracting functionality um, from that experience, which which really helped me when I got to Unity because Unity is something that sort of says this is the Unity way of doing it. Uh, don't ask why, and that can get you into trouble the longer you use Unity. Mm. And so uh, having a little bit of that background was very helpful for me because it, it the, those those walls were a little shorter and easier to climb when I when I when I got to them. So the the big part of this, though, and the reason I took a big, long lead up to it is that um, Metro Nexus is now running on Switch at 60 Woo! frames per second, <laughs> which is a, That's a, an achievement. <laughs> it, it runs fantastic. It's running good. And it's essentially the exact same code base that started uh, as Flash in 2015. And wow. the the way this works is it's not actually ActionScript anymore. It's a it's a, a new language called Hacks. And I've mentioned this on the show before, so I've talked a little bit about it. So for, forgive me, listener, if you've heard some of these details already. Um, but um, uh, Hacks or Haxie or Axe, or it, there's no official way to pronounce it. It's H-A-X-E. Um, it's a language that was designed to be essentially identical to ActionScript, which is the object-oriented language. Uh, it's very similar to Java or C Sharp. So if you use Unity, it's, so, it's essentially the same thing uh, in terms of like how you write it and the, the, the structure you use. ActionScript and Hacks are very similar. ActionScript gets compiled and it runs on a runtime, the the Flash player, right? Or the Air player. And then that application, the player, is compiled natively for the different platforms. 
So you have a Flash player on Windows, a Flash player on Android. You have a Flash player on iOS, believe it or not, that, that is embedded into every one of these apps. And then your code runs in that player. Um, Unity actually works sort of similarly in certain contexts, right? Uh, unless you're mm-hmm. using IL2PP. Um, but uh, Java works the same way. Even a lot of uh, .NET works the same way. So it's really common to have these runtimes. Um, but, and you'll hear this, a lot of people say this, native code is faster, right? Uh, uh, running directly on the hardware. And so right. um, uh, Hacks uh, said, okay, Flash was designed to write once and deploy anywhere. So let's take that further by saying write once and then we'll transpile the code to native code and then we'll just use native compilers. Mm. So if you write something in Hacks, you can then turn it into JavaScript and run it in a web page, right? You can turn it into C++ and compile it using a C++ compiler to run on anything. You can run it on a toaster, runs on anything, right? Right. And so um, rather than having a player that the player itself needs to have versions for each of these platforms, you create a uh, you take your code and then you you turn it into other code and then that code you can go in and edit it if you want it's it's your mm-hmm. code still um mm-hmm. it it it, uh, it just translates the code like google translate and then you use any compiler for that 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 platform um of course it's not quite as simple as that but it's almost as simple as that and so huh. what's nice about it is that it the 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 language is um, I mean, there are differences, but it's almost identical to ActionScript. There is even a process by which you could automatically turn your ActionScript into hacks, and then you go in and make a couple of corrections um, because there's some syntax changes, but it's very, very little. And so uh, that's what I did for MetroNexus, and that took a couple of months to get that process going. Um, and so um, once I got that working, then basically it's just straight C++. So that means mm-hmm. it can run on anything that I can compile it to, which C++ is... It is a language like any other, but it has a longer history, and um, there's nothing magical about it except for the fact that um, it is uh, a, it can compile natively to most anything because there's so many options for it. And okay. it has two pluses. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Very true. There is a language called C minus minus. I think it was created what? as a joke. Um, oh, <laughs> we can maybe find that and put it in the show notes. Yeah. Um, wow. Okay, so this is the porting I'm doing for Metro Nexus, right? It's taking porting it from a flash game into a uh, action or a, a, a hacks game, um, which can then be put onto anything. Now, that's all fine if it's just the language, but the code itself is actually quite complicated and uses lots of different libraries. The first right. of which is the Flash API. So, if it, you've used Flash before, it has a, it has a language of of movie clips, which are um, and the display list. So, it's a, a visually based. So, I have an object that uh, has a timeline and has, and I can draw on it and it has a canvas and it has transform properties. And so think of a movie clip like a Unity game object kind of. And so um, that is not part of the language, right? That's part of the API. Mm-hmm. And so right. a- ActionScript itself is almost the same as JavaScript or TypeScript. They're based on similar syntax. And Hacks is, is, has a standard library like most uh, languages do, but it's just like math functions and stuff. It's very similar to, you know, uh, uh, most standard libraries, very basic functionality. The Flash API doesn't exist in Hacks, but of course, Hacks was designed to replace ActionScript, and no one used ActionScript if they didn't also use the Flash API. So mm-hmm. um, there's also a project uh, um, called OpenFL, um, or Open Flash, I suppose. And that is essentially a one-to-one um, uh, port of the Flash API to Hacks. And so... 
when I have my new project, I import the OpenFL API. I change a couple of my references uh, when I import import statements. But then otherwise, all my code is exactly the same uh, when, I'm, when I'm using the Flash API. Okay, that's great, fine. But I'm not just using the Flash API. I'm using something called the Starling API, which is a way to use the Flash engine's 3D capabilities. So this is not something that, that most people know about, but Flash it was a, a, you know, had a fully capable 3D renderer in it. Um, in fact, uh, Unreal, um, uh, uh, when, it, when Unreal had a web player, it ran in Flash, and it was the fastest version. <laughs> Um, uh, uh, Unity, you could target Flash from Unity for the longest time, um, oh. but no one wanted to use it really because the truth is, is there's not a lot of 3D games on the web, um, and so that was a big part of the reason. Um, but I think back in 2012 or something, you could export from Unity to Flash, and it worked great um, because uh, the Flash player has 3D functionality. So Starling was a way, but it's a really complicated API. Like anyone who's done graphics programming knows that it's not any fun, and you should never do it. Um, <laughs> just like raw, keep that in mind yeah raw <laughs> graphics programming you need an intermediary yeah. layer right and so the right. starling api was interesting the starling api was to say let's mimic the flash api movie clips sprites um you know shapes and you know all the things that we know about the flash api and the way people are, use, are used to using action script in that way and let's have it run on the gpu as 3d so people who use unity know that when you make a sprite you're actually making a quad that has a texture, right? And you're running it in 3D space, but the camera is orthographic. So even 2D is 3D, right? Um, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, uh, this is something that, that, that gamers, when they learn it, are, it blows them away. Um, <laughs> uh, and when developers learn it for the first time, it's really quite interesting, right? Um, mm -hmm. Every 2D game you've played for the past 15 years is a 3D game, right? Yeah. Um, maybe not Pico 8 games, but like other than that, most things. <laughs> so the Starling API was something that was written for ActionScript as a way to make Flash games run faster because they could run on the GPU. And that is what made Flash relevant as long as it finally was, until it finally went away. Um, so I use that in Metro Nexus to, 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 to achieve a pretty good uh, uh, smooth running rate and get a lot, you know, you could also do raster effects and filters and all the things you can do with, uh, you know, 2D uh, uh, or a fake 2D, but really 3D. Okay. Um, I needed that in hacks. Well, luckily, uh, so many people are like me. They moved over. That exists. Okay, so that's there. So I've got that going. The last piece I needed was the Citrus engine, right? This this actual this this engine that that, that had the API for uh, 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 asset management and state changes and and stuff like that. That was that right. got me into this project to begin with. That project had been abandoned. So no. it no. was so uh, there was an ActionScript version that I was using. And um, there was a, uh, uh, the Starling API had updated and I, and the, and Citrus Engine didn't. And so it was using an older, slower version of Starling. And, and years ago, before we were working on Widget Satchel, I had, I had taken that Citrus Engine and used a unfinished version of it uh, to update all of the, 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 the code so it could use more, more modern libraries. And, that the Citrus Engine was abandoned at that point, right? There were other things that were available that were uh, uh, basically as good or better in in the Flash space. And uh, by the time I went back and ported it to Hacks, uh, you know, no progress had been made on Citrus Engine. So I needed to port that entire engine myself to Hacks uh, to get that to work. And that was actually the most of the work that I did. Um, the the I, I really briefly considered. Um, just rebuilding it all in Unity or rebuilding it in another more modern uh, hacks game engine 
Uh, Hacks Flixel is one that's out there. If you remember that game um, that uh, Adam Saltzman, uh, his first uh, hit, uh, uh, Cannibalt, uh, that game was yeah. a, a Flash game. And he wrote an engine for it um, that, is, that then got uh, the, he open sourced. And then that engine was taken by Hacks developers and ported to Hacks Flixel. Mm-hmm. And it is now the, the most popular uh, Hacks game engine. Um, so it has a pretty long life. So I thought, oh, maybe I could adopt that instead. But I had so much code in Metro Nexus that I'm like, ah, you know what? It probably will be faster if I just go ahead and port this old engine that I know really well. Uh, and so I did that and it's done and I kind of want to release it. But uh, I don't know who would use it, I think, because there's there's uh, there's other options out there. Sure. So this is like, I mean, it's, I'm giving you a lot of the details. I don't know how many of them are that important. But like a lot of this is... Um, a way to keep my old code relevant without having to rewrite a lot of it because I had done it. It's a, it has a physics engine in it and it, it has a lot of stuff that if I were to rebuild it, maybe I could do it, but it wouldn't feel the same. And Metro Nexus went yeah. through like two, three years of playtesting. Um, yeah. <laughs> it feels the way I want it to feel. And so all of this effort was really worth it um, uh, to, to get it, you know, working. And now, uh, you know, it runs perfectly. So I'm very, very pleased with the work. But it was a ton of work. And this is not something even that, you know, this game was never released as a Flash game. So it's, you know, it's been in development this whole time. And so you'll hear this. There are famous stories of like Nuke Dukem Forever, like going from like technology to technology over the course of 20 years or whatever. Um, You know, this is essentially that. It's the same story, right? It's a little bit less sad than that story, (laughs) hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, that's something that, um, and it's all of my, all of my history of knowing how any of this stuff works, all the the couple of years I took off from this project to get good at Unity, uh, also was really valuable into making this mm-hmm. process a, l- a little bit uh, uh, quicker than it needed to be. Um, but the thing is, is that um, this is the kind of a worst case scenario for a port, right? Yeah. A lot of this- times, if you're working on like if your game is in JavaScript or your game is in some other thing and you wanted to move it to a new platform, there's usually easier ways. Mm. right um but this is something that was born out of necessity um but ultimately i mean i could the game could have stayed a flash game and i could have put it on mobile could put it on pc or mac would have ran fine would have been great but i wanted to get it on consoles because now i have access to consoles um and uh i owe a lot to a lot of the open source developers who have um uh, put these new libraries together that i could port to but also um the uh there are libraries that let me compile to switch um and those are behind ndas um, as just like the, the modules for unity, um, and very far fewer people are using them. And so, right. um, so I have to be a little bit more hands-on, but I'm also much more in debt to the people who make those tools, uh, to, to, to make these things possible. Um, yeah. but that's been really exciting and a really interesting process. So, um, uh, hopefully the story is interesting, but also I want to make, I want to be a resource. If you're, if you have an old code base that you want to move. Uh, if you you know if you're going from flash to hacks or it's any other thing to any other thing, I've learned a lot and a lot of the pitfalls. So uh, drop us a line, contact at nicegames.club. Uh, yeah, to let us know because that is something that uh, it's it only recently am I at the point where the porting work is essentially done and I can start working on features again, which is really exciting. Um, yeah, I can start doing more of that controller abstraction um, that mm. I was doing a lot for uh, for Widget Satchel. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, luckily, uh, Metro Nexus has been really well abstracted up to now because it already on PC and Android supported every controller that ever was ever made. Um, and, uh, and, and by that token, I did a lot of that, that work to make a lot of my functionality, um, uh, write my own APIs for that. Even if there was only one implementation, 
um, for the longest time. So I'm going back to a lot of my old code and being like, oh, ooh, thankfully, I, I, I thought ahead already. So make, make my mm -hmm. work going forward a little bit easier. Um, Thank you, Past Mark. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the biggest lesson is like, uh, you, you don't know how hard it's going to be for future you. So make, you know, sometimes it's a little bit of extra work now and you don't know if you're going to benefit from it. Um, but when it comes time, you know, you'll, you will thank past yourself. Mm -hmm. yeah. In planning your port, think <laughs> about future you. Yeah. So I've, I mean, I've, I've, I've prattled on this whole time about this whole story, but do you guys have any questions or any, uh, things that came up that I didn't quite explain quite right? You want to ask about? I wanted to ask like, uh, I mean, the experience you went through in order to port Metro Nexus um, was largely due to like I guess you were using you're using Flash and it's not it's not supported in consoles. Yeah, there'll never so, be a Flash target for future devices, right? Yeah, um, but like you had to you had to do your specific porting experience because you wanted to um, update the engine. Do you? Uh, I guess like in in a um. In a broad sense, do you think that like it would be valuable for people to uh, try to like future proof their oh that's a really really bases? good question. I, actually, yeah. I think the answer to that is no. Um, okay, uh, one of the things that um, I mean, you know, even in 2015, uh, mm -hmm. people were talking about the death of Flash, right? Yeah, um, uh, developers who were using it knew better, and I mean, even today, you can write an app in Flash, or uh, I say Flash, but it, it, the desktop target is called Adobe Air. Um, right. You can, you can target, a, 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 you don't need to install any plugins. It, the, the runtime comes with the game just like it does in Unity. And mm -hmm. you can still ship a game on Steam. No one's the wiser. Runs great. Right. It is excellent technology. It's, you know, 15 years of incredible libraries. If you're targeting PC and mobile, in fact, um, like there's a really, really popular mobile game, uh, The Battle for Polytopia. Uh, that's written in Flash. And it's like mm. one of the top iPhone games. Um, oh. and no one knows and it's fine. Um, mm. if you don't, if you don't have the need to, it can be, um, it can be really tempting to want a future proof, right? Because, oh, I'm going to move to a technology that's actually supported that is going to have new versions that isn't dying on the vine, frankly. Right. Mm. But you have to think of your needs, right? Like, is there, if you have all the code you need, if you have all the libraries you've got, um, it's the same with unity, right? People talk about unity, like, oh, there are some people who like to update to the latest version of unity as soon as it's out. Right. Right. They want the new features and just like anyone updates anything. But yeah. if your game is working, if it's running well, you can stay on 2017.1. It's fine. Right. Yeah. I mean, of course, if you're working in the console space, there's other considerations. But, um, right. you know, if you're making a PC game and you're working in ActionScript and everything is going great for you. I mean, uh, yeah, it feels a little bit weird because you, it, but um, there are decades of forum posts to help you with all your problems. So that, that's not necessarily an issue. You're not going to get a lot yeah. of help from people because there's not a lot of active developers in that space anymore. So there, right. you know, there's lots of reasons. But I would say um, it depends on the future you expect or the future that you plan, right? Okay, um, sure. Uh, with Metro Nexus, it was very much a, I demoed, for the, I demoed the game on a laptop for people at GDC uh, in, a, in, a, in a meeting with Nintendo reps and everyone, all the developers who were there showing off their stuff, um, I was saying like, oh yeah, this is, you know, this is an air, so it's never going to come to Switch. Just never. I, I just accepted that as a thing. And everyone mm -hmm. was like, oh, because it would be perfect on the Switch. And the, mm, the, yeah. the, every time I heard that, I was like, ah, oh, man, I know every game is perfect on the Switch. So it, you, have to, you, have to hear it, <laughs> you have to hear it the hundreds of times that I heard it. 
right. for, for me to finally say, all right, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm committing to doing that. And this was before I even had access to switch development hardware. I was, right. I, 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 I committed that, 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 uh, Metro Nexus would be moved to a, to a Haxi so that I could target switch. Cause I knew it was possible. Um, yeah. it was, in fact, it's, uh, the two years we took off uh, that I took off when we made uh, widget satchel were really beneficial mm-hmm. because the technology, I wouldn't say it's 1.0, but it's matured <laughs> quite a bit, and it, it's it's running really well on the latest Nintendo SDKs uh, on on the Switch. Whereas two years ago, when I had, had decided to do it, um, it it was it was a much uh, hairier proposition. Still possible, but sure. um, it's much better now. And um, but but I had that specific reason to do it. Like I'd heard it from right. a million t- people. If you just think, oh, I would love for this game to be on 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 this platform. Um, you have to weigh that with how challenging it will be to get it there. Um, yeah. But I mean, you're not going to hear this from a lot of other people. But like, go ahead and ship your Flash game; it's fine. Like, it, yeah, you know, don't don't sure. ship it on the web because no one has the Flash player installed in their browser anymore. Um, right. But go ahead and ship uh, it on desktop. Ship it on Steam. It's, you can get Steam achievements. There's tons of libraries available to you. You can get what are called native extensions, where you can get native uh, functionality on uh, Android or iOS or Windows or, or Mac. Uh, using that code base um so there's um you do it's a tough decision for each developer who was in the situation that i was in um Mm -hmm. but but just because i did it doesn't mean everyone has to that's actually what i wanted to ask you about mark Mm -hmm. um i wanted to ask you a tough question which is under what conditions would future mark look back and say this wasn't worth it oh i see huh that's a really good question um one thing um, is that the um, when I decided to do this port, I was actually thinking more about PlayStation 4. Um, mm. uh, because PlayStation 4 in 2015 was turning into a really good local multiplayer console. Um, right. it, was the, it's the, it was the home of Little Big Planet, and I think it's less true now, but a couple of years ago, it was really before the Switch came out, it was seen as, uh, uh, because the PlayStation 4 was so successful, um and and uh, players surveyed uh, uh were they were more likely to have multiple controllers than Xbox players um mm-hmm. and so that was my first that was actually the first thought is cuz i didn't know one switch didn't exist yet and two when it did uh actually getting on switch was like a an uncertain proposition right um right and so my first thought was um uh, uh was uh, was PlayStation i was like that would be really good and that was something that i had been hearing about is that there was a a um a console backend uh, for the libraries that, w- that I was using uh, for OpenFL, and that was something that was being worked on. I, I, I uh, um, there was some talks at a conference about that, and um, uh, of course, a lot of that was still under NDA at that time. The, they were working with Wii U and PlayStation Four and Xbox at the time. Since then, those those that that generic console backend that was meant to target all the different consoles, um, uh, that has actually stopped development. Instead, what's replaced it is a a, a much better version of the Switch target. Um, and then the, there's Xbox and PlayStation targets that are available, um, uh, um, but they're, they have not had a lot of uh, updates and not a lot of testing. I believe one or two games has shipped uh, with it, um, but they're, they were Herculean efforts. Um, mm. So one of the things I certainly would have regretted is if I had done all that work in uh, uh, 2018 when we started working on Widget Satchel, if I'd started the work then, and there's a certain no going back, right? You can't when you're making this kind of porting, you can't um, um, you can't change your mind, right? Um, because mm-hmm. you uh, one, I, I mean, I had to have such res- uh, I had to reserve my temptation to start adding features in the middle of the process. I'm like, no, 
everything that needs to work. Like, yes, this is bad code, but I need to port this bad code because if I make any changes and then there's a future problem, I won't have my old code to com- that works to compare mm-hmm. it to. Right. So it was really, really, really difficult to keep myself from doing that. And finally, I'm, I don't have to do that anymore. It's a really good feeling. <laughs> but even then, there's no going back. Um, there's, there are enough things that you change and enough little tweaks you make along the way that are, uh, that are ultimately material benefits to the project that going back means junking it, right? You can't like, um, mm-hmm. it, it, because a lot of times the, the, at least in the case of ActionScript to Haxi, some of the changes that I had to make were in service of this is best practice here, but this is best practice here. So it wasn't necessarily that I was making it better. It's just, I needed to make a different decision. Sometimes very slight, but there's dozens of them across the code base. So taking mm-hmm. any of those improvements that I make that and, and saying which one was because of the language and which one was because of like Starling that would that would actually benefit both that I was in or which one was because I totally effed up and made an improvement I wasn't supposed to. Um, so there's sort of no going back. So so getting all the way back to answering the question, if I had started doing that in 2018 and then it was come time to actually test, I gotten access to dev hardware finally uh, uh, that year. And um, and the the libraries had were not ready, um, and 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 maybe never would be, or maybe were just uh, abandoned officially. Um, then I would have been in a lot of trouble because I would mm. have done a lot of work, and I could you know I could still uh, uh, I, I, I actually I'd, I'd have be able to to ship on the web um, uh, better than it than than with Flash. I could still go on Steam and 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 on mobile if I wanted to, but it would have been a lot of work for no extra benefit really. So mm. uh, it was a little bit of a leap of faith to do it at that time. Um, and a lot of it had to do with just the excitement about the fact that this game, it, I just didn't think it, it just had a home on switch. And so when I finally got around to doing it, um, if it, uh, you know, at the end of, of 2019 in December, um, it was, it was, it was easy to do it then. But if I had started the work earlier, it would have been an even dicier proposition okay. that I could have easily come to regret. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, I've talked about before, we talked about like starting projects a couple weeks ago. Um, yeah. One of the things I'm very comfortable with is wasting a little time at the top. Um, yeah. And so um, I was at a certain point, I was like, I need to I need to port this so that I can to the point that I can get it running on Windows so that I can test it on Switch. There was so much of that work before I could get it actually running at all on Windows mm-hmm. that that I felt I'd gone way past the point of being comfortable with the time wasting. If I had gotten it tested on, on Windows and at least it, the build ran, it didn't run perfectly, but at least it, would, it opened a window. Then I'm like, okay, now I can test it on Switch. And if that just didn't work and there was no way to fix it, and or I made some totally wrong presumption about the ability for it to, it to work at all, I would have mm-hmm. wasted months. Um, yeah. Whereas if, it, if I was able to get it running on Windows a lot faster and, and then and test it on Switch and it didn't work, I wouldn't feel as bad about wasting the time. Um, right. but like, yeah, there was a certain point where I'm just like, I'm in it now, like, uh, hope it or I had confidence, but like not certainty. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. Huh. Dang. That's. Wow. <laughs> Sounds right. effortful. 60 frames per second. It's working. It's working great. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Cool. That, yeah. I, I, I appreciate you sharing all of that information because like, I think that like, it's helpful for, uh, listeners to hear like those, those specific kinds of difficulties that like we face sometimes as yeah. the developers. And like every project is going to be different. You're going to have those random uh, idiosyncratic issues that like will come up. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. 
And I mean, maybe maybe it's not literally porting an entire engine to a new console, but like well, some, <laughs> some people go from Unity to Unreal because they have particular yeah. demands. Like this is not, um, you it's know, not unheard of. Yeah, and a lot right. of times when people port to a different code base or a different engine, they're doing something differently than I did, which is a lot mm-hmm. of times they're just rewriting it. Right? They're, right, they're looking at the old code and then just doing it in a whole new system. Um, mm-hmm. The the there's pluses and minuses to what I did, which is just take the code and copy and paste it, and then check all the spelling errors essentially right um mm-hmm. the the plus is that there i didn't have to re-implement anything right okay. i just had to make sure that the code w- was working the minus is that i don't know that it took me less time to do it that mm. way necessarily yeah um the, oh yeah the real benefit was that everything would work exactly the same way right? i didn't have to i didn't have to make any design changes so that was a real solid benefit but um the benefit was confidence and fidelity yes that's exactly right um yeah, the, I will say that there's there's more than just technical risks as well, like in terms of actually pitching the project. So if let's say you're you're like, OK, I've been working on this by myself for a little while. I want to bring in a team. Well, no one knows how to use this obscure language and platform that I'm only that I'm the only person on earth that uses. Let's just imagine mm-hmm. that's the case. So that's a really good reason to port to something. Right. All of my developer yeah. friends, the people I want to hire on this project or to, that I want to work with, they're all unity experts. So it's worth my effort so that I can get their their expertise later, right? So that's a really good reason to change engines or to change, yeah. is, is to, to leverage uh, not just uh, new technology or, or technologies available, but people that are available. Mm-hmm. Another one of them, and this is something that I've faced recently is, I talked to, um, some months ago about, um, you know, with GDC being canceled, I, I had all these meetings and I was pitching Metro Nexus to publishers. And one of the things right. I heard from a lot of people was, um, you know, they'd ask what engine it was in and I would explain like, you know, it was, it was Adobe Air, but I moved it to, Taxi and, and that's the whole thing. And a lot of them understood that because they'd heard that from other developers. But mm-hmm. I'd, I'd gotten some pushback saying like, oh, I don't know. Like, uh, we don't know that. Uh, I haven't heard a lot of success stories there. Or, oh, I'm not sure I can, you know, we wouldn't be able to support you if there was any problems with the code base. And I, and I would say, uh, you know, my confidence is like, that's not what I'm not asking for that development support. But a lot of times right. publishers want to offer that. And that's the mm-hmm. um, relationship they're familiar with. So that was something that I had to sort of face like well if i had just ported it all to unity instead then yes i'd have to re-implement i would have to i have to do it would be a completely it'd be starting over right and so uh i'm very happy that i didn't do that but it does have a cost right because Mm -hmm. if you tell a publisher this was made in unity they're like oh great then like you know they don't they don't have any concerns at that point um but when i tell them like it's a it's a it's an engine that that doesn't exist anymore uh on a a platform that is uh, not commonly used um, mm. targeting <laughs> targeting something that there are maybe a dozen or fewer shipping titles using on, on Switch, um, then they're like, um, oh, then they have to have a little more faith in you, right? And so right. I, I had to accept that um, that it's a little bit of a harder sell, you know? Right. You have to make yeah. up for that uncertainty as well. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I believe enough in this project and I really believe in the work that I've put into it already that I'm, I'm, uh, I understand the, those drawbacks, but I'm accepting of them, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully, you know, as time goes on, I'll, I'll have I'll have better builds that I can share with with future partners, so that that can hopefully get more of that uh, that like, oh, really? Are you really you did that? And like, oh yeah, you did that. Um, whereas mm-hmm. uh, 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 in that time when I was pitching it, it was a lot more of like a believe me, I'm go- uh, it's going to work, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and there's always going to be a lot of that. Believe me, uh, you know, uh, 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 I'm going to make this happen. That's something that a publisher has to. Um, uh, that's a hard. That's a hard sell for any publisher uh, evaluating any developer. Frankly, um, yeah. So the fewer the fewer unknowns you can give them, the better. Um, but yeah, you have to weigh all those different pluses and minuses, and it's not just the right. tech. Yeah. 
That's our show. If you liked it, leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast app. Be sure to tell all your friends, too. What kind of stars, Steven? <laughs> five stars, the fanciest stars. Yeah. <laughs> if you're interested in any of the topics we talked about in this episode, make sure to check out our website, nicegames.club, for more show notes and links to resources. Like with playtesting our games, we are always looking for feedback on the podcast. You can do that at nicegames.club feedback to tell us what you think. Get in touch with us on Twitter at NiceGamesClub, where Dale tweets game dev resources and pictures of cats, or by email at contact at NiceGames.Club. Ask us questions or give us suggestions for topics. So until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. If you liked it, leave a f- leave a what? <laughs> a a fancy bit. Goodness, I haven't said this in a long time. Hold on. <laughs> well, will you do that? I'm going to. I think it's my turn to edit this one. So cool. You're gonna have a job. Yeah. <laughs> Be fine. <clears throat> uh, here, I'll start. Off.